computers. This is Intelligent Performance. Welcome to Intelligent Performance, where we become fanatical about excellence around human endeavor. It's a pleasure to have you with us, and today's guest is no exception, where we have Philip DiBella, a highly accomplished entrepreneur and director of the DiBella Group, uh, where he is renowned for his ability to basically see and act on unique opportunities that others may miss. And that includes taking a small coffee company from up in Brisbane and turning it into the number one coffee brand in the country and doing a very high profile and very successful exit, which is what we'll go into on this podcast. So today we're talking about his new book, The 17 Rules of Ground, sorry, Game Changing Thinking, where we're really going to get into the nitty gritty about what it takes to build a business of substance, a business of difference, and a business of success um, today. So great to have you with us. Let's get into it. Bill, great to have you on here and thank you for taking the time out to, to talk to us. Now, where we wanted to start the conversation, you've just released the 17 Rules of Game-Changing Thinking and I really want to kind of touch on personally a little bit about what had you feel like you had to write this book. I'd love to start there. Yeah, look, I um, obviously once you've got runs on the board, this year is my 20th year in business and we've had, you know, multiple businesses. Obviously, the claim to fame was Debella Coffee starting in 2002. We exited in 2017 from a startup to the country's biggest coffee company in specialty coffee. We're a full comprehensive turnkey from crop to cup, we used to call it, from farming, uh, dealing direct with farmers, importing, trading green beans, which is commodities, you know, US dollar, shipping, that's before the product even got here. So that was one area. Then obviously manufacturing and everything that goes with manufacturing to then everything that goes with sales and marketing, everything was done in-house through the coffee training. And, and what put us on the map there was all about being, not going out to try and sell a bag of coffee. It was about helping cafe owners make money. And we went from, you know, from a startup to the biggest in the country and exited for a record amount. Along the way, we started different businesses, international coffee traders, then obviously when I exited, I started Abbotsford Road in New York. I had um, Debella Coffee China. We did a brand for the owner of H&M, fashion label in Thailand called Dark by Philip Debella, Coffee by Debella in India, which is still going to this day. So we touched on different parts of the world and all in our you know, hospitality industry. We started a cafe and it became Brisbane's, one of Brisbane's biggest cafes, exited that. I've currently got a share in a fine dining restaurant. So we've done a bit of everything. And a lot of people ask, how can you do so much? And how can most of these projects, you know, with let's say 10 successes, we've only had one failure, you know, how, how do you do that? And a lot of people have got this thirst for knowledge and want to learn. And so to me, the purpose of a book was to capsulate a framework of, of that can help others. It wasn't about showboating, telling a story, gloating. It's really about how can I help somebody that's sitting there you know, thinking of starting a business or is in business, they might be in infancy stage, they might be in, you know, in, in complacency stage, they might actually be in, in, in a terrible stage where they want to close it. But how can we provide, you know, years of 20 years of, of a journey, and encapsulated into a framework. And thus, what we spat out between Alan Bonsall, who's actually was his vision, and he provided the framework, using a lot of my stories and, and examples and, and theologies, and he put it into a framework that could understand and, and came up with 17 rules of game changer thinking. And in short, if you think about, you know, in 2010, the, the buzzword was entrepreneur, entrepreneur this and entrepreneur that. Most people didn't know what it meant, let alone spell it. I don't think I can still spell it without autocorrect, right? <laughs> entrepreneurship was all about yesterday. To me, yeah. game changer thinking is all about today and tomorrow. 
and they're both similar. They're all about what, how can I provide or do something different or better by creating my own resources? And that's on a small level, medium level, large level. You don't have to own a business to be able to have that impact. You can work within a business to do that. Uh, but certainly if you're looking at opening a business or you're in business, then you should have a look at the framework of game changer thinking. Because if you're flying along and you're successful, then what you're going to get out of the book is the rules that you're doing really well. If you're struggling, you're going to be able to read the book and go, shit, this is what I need to be doing better. Mm. If you're looking at getting into business, you should be looking at the whole thing and making it your, you know, your strategic plan. So it's a functional plan on how to go about becoming successful. Because if you look at the brands around the world from small to large, you know, whether it's as big as your Amazons, your Teslas, or you bring it closer to home with your Go Ones, your Boost Juices, whatever you see, your local cafe owner, your local dress shop, they all have the concept of game changer thinking. They all look at things and say, I can do this different and better. I can create my resources. And you'll see some really common themes. We talk about the rule of purpose. They solve a problem. So people come to me and say, I want to open a cafe. Well, what are you going to do in that cafe that solves a problem? Because there's 44,000 of them in Australia. So what are you going to do that's different? The common theme of rule of customer service. Well, how are you going to exceed a customer's expectation? Because if you're not exceeding a customer's expectation, you're not going to breed you know, brand loyalty, which takes you to rule of brand. What is brand? Brand is what people say about you when you leave the room, which then comes down to rule of profitability. And, and I love using non-for-profits as example. Even if you're running a non-for-profit, you need to be commercial yeah. because you need to generate revenue to be able to pay your bills. So, I mean, that's only four or five of the 17 rules, but you start to get this understanding of how we've taken a template, turn it into a framework so that you can build a business plan. And I know it's a long-winded answer, Michael, but it's that was the purpose for me. Using the own rules is to start from the outside in. You don't make money in books. It's yeah. not about tell it, it's not about showboating. It's about, well, how can this resource being the book help yeah. somebody be better tomorrow than today? I think it's really good because I think having started multiple business personally, it's it's much harder than it looks. And I think a lot of people who are stepping out into uh, their own business, uh, yeah, you, you don't see a lot which goes on. You don't see, and then you don't realize the diverse skill set which you need when you start a business, right? In fact, you, you have to become an expert in sales and marketing as a big part of it. A lot of people are yeah. technicians. So I just want to come back to this purpose. So it's really interesting. We When we talk to uh, millennials, younger people, Gen Z, they're all purpose-driven, right? But I want to think about a cleaning firm or an engineering firm which might be making conveyor belts for a coal mine out in Woodward, right? How would you speak to them around building purpose? How can a like a commoditized business actually develop a, a purpose within it? Yeah, well, I, it's very simple. What problem do you solve? What's your why? Why would somebody buy your product over somebody else's? So cleaning, for example, is a great one um, because you look at cleaning and you go, well, I'm in the business of cleaning. Well, you're not. That's what you do. So if you follow Simon Sinek's work of why, what, how, Cleaning's what you do, you know, how you clean then decides on how profitable you are. But your actual why, say for a domestic cleaner, would be to give somebody more hours, to give somebody more free time, Ooh. right? For me to come to you and, and offer you my cleaning services, well, if I try to sell you cleaning services, I'm competing with every other cleaner. Whereas if I come to you, Michael, and say, right, our actual purpose and our drive is to give you more time. So when you're not cleaning, you can actually be working on a business, holidaying with the kids, out with the family, whatever it is that you want to do is our, our organization would be to provide you with more time. 
How we do that is by coming in and saying, right, we'll clean for you once a week, once a month, whatever it is. So that would be how something, so you would start from the outside in. You would say, what is the actual problem I'm solving? You're not solving a cleaning problem. Everyone knows how to clean, especially if you talk to an Italian mum. If you came to my mum and said, I'm going to clean the house, she'd be offended, right? Because she'd be like, I know how to clean. I've been cleaning all my life. Mm. Whereas if I said to mum, I'm getting you a cleaner so you can go spend more time with dad, or I'm getting you a cleaner so you can go and, you know, teach others how to cook, then she would take that on board. She would, what I call, emotionally engage with that. And that's a perfect example because one person would lead with, I'm selling cleaning products or time. Somebody else would lead with the rule of purpose. And the purpose of doing your cleaning is to free you up to do something else that you would rather do, you know? And so you can use that with coffee. When I started Debella Coffee, there was 2000 coffee companies in Australia. So my, everyone else wants to go and sell a bag of coffee. That wasn't my purpose. My purpose was to help cafe owners make money. How I got paid was you buy my coffee. So how did I help you make money? I'd look at your lease. I would look at your menu. I would look at your opening hours. We would do an analysis on your business of what needed to be improved and then connect you with people that can do that. How I actually got paid was that we would supply you fresh roasted coffee delivered to your door at good prices. So the transaction and the commerciality was the coffee, but the problem we solved was to help a cafe owner make money. Wow. And that's the best way I can explain rule of purpose. What a different approach. And in terms of customer centric, which I think is where is what you're essentially getting to. So tell us about this, the rule of customer, like we're getting customer service. How do you, yeah. you, how do you think about that? Oh, look, um, you know, people say customer service. Customer service is not tangible. So tell me, you know, and I, and I use this as an example. We both go to a restaurant. We both buy a $100 bottle of wine. And Michael says, well, I want you to serve it for me. Me, I drink too quick. I'm at, I prefer you to leave the bottle on the table. I like to serve myself. Now, I don't care if that bottle of wine costs $20 or $200. I don't expect to be served. The waiter, right, that says, right, I'm going to provide customer service. Well, hang on. They think they're providing customer service by pouring my wine, whereas they're not because they haven't seen what my expectation is. So what I say is I've turned it around and said, let's make customer service tangible. Customer service is about exceeding a customer's expectation. So the first thing you have to do is understand what that customer's expectation is. So therefore, if we take the wine scenario and I was waiting the table, I would come over and go, Michael, are you happy for me to leave the bottle of wine on the table? And I will endeavor to fill your glass, but you can fill your glass whenever you, you're, you know, when, you, when you're ready, if I, if I can't get to you. Yes, I am. No, I'm not. You say no. All right, I'll put the wine there. I'm going to give you special attention knowing that you want me to pour your wine. The same person comes to me and I say, I'm happy to leave it on the table, right? It frees them up more time to serve you because I'm happy to pour my own wine. Both of us walk out of that restaurant with our customer expectations met because the person has bothered to see what the customer service level is to different people, right? And that's one example. You know, saying hello, good morning, how are you? Welcome to my establishment. That's not customer service. That's just called good manners, right? So Myers and David Jones, you walk in there and they want to, if you can find somebody, how can I help you, Michael? Um, well, I've just walked in, you know, I don't know. Don't know. I'm having a look at the shop and I'll come back to you. Then you go and try and pay for something and good luck trying to find somebody to pay yeah. because there's there's five <laughs> there's five stations and there's only one that's manned. So that's not customer service. So a lot of these people get caught up as customer service as a theory. I, I talk about it as a tangible experience. Yeah. And customer service is how have I has that person exceeded my expectation as a customer? Because we've all got different demands. Every everyone's got different demands, needs, and expectations when it comes to customer service. So that sounds easy to do if you're on a 
on a granular basis in a restaurant? How do you do that in an environment which might be might be e-commerce as an example? Like you don't it can be e-commerce. It can be oh well, look, uh, exceeding customers' expectation. You know, um, we promise that we deliver in three days, and they get it in the same day. So, like with our coffee, we used to say, you know, it's a three-day, it's an approximate three-day turnaround from order. Well, if you ordered in Brisbane, you'd get it in the morning by nine o'clock. You'd get it the same afternoon. Yeah, right. Bang. The expectation we set was three days. You got it within the same day. It's exceeded, right. right? I'll give it to you in an accounting firm or a law firm. All these, especially the top tier guys, they won't invite you to the football, to the cricket, nor to yeah. the extracurricular, right? I'm not interested in that because I can afford to go to the cricket myself. I can go to the football myself. <laughs> and if I want to go to these things, I want to go with my mates and my family. Not I don't really want to go with a bunch of strangers. But there's nothing wrong with somebody who does. So therefore, how does it, you know, an accounting firm make that tangible. Well, when you're signing up, Phil, what are your common interests? You know, do you love the AFL? Do you love the NRL? Do you love the basketball? Do you love the netball? What is it that you love? Do you like wine? Do you love this? Right? Amex do it really well. They ask you for what you like, what you don't like. They ask you for your birth date, your parent, um, your family's birth dates, and, and you'll get stuff. So if you're on a black Amex, they'll send you stuff that interests you, but they've done all the work at the beginning. So if you were working in what you would call an intangible, how do I do that with an e-commerce site? Well, set an expectation, beat it. Right. So whether it's the delivery time. We used to have a system at um, Debella Coffee that every the last Friday of every month, that week we would put something for nothing in the order, the online order pack. Now it might be a pen, it might be a bag of cookies, it might be a hat, depending on the size of the order. There was something in there to surprise and delight. It was unsolicited, unexpected. So the key word that keeps coming back is unexpected. You know, if you tell somebody and you're doing their tax return that they're going to get a million dollars back at the end of the year and they get a hundred thousand, you're a villain. If you tell them they're going to get 400,000 back at the end of the year and they get 600,000, you're a legend. So the key word around to me around customer service is all about expectations. Okay. Understand diagnosing what an expectation of the client is and then anticipating it and over delivering on it. I really love that. I think it's, um, it's a really interesting way to set expectations. Either if you can't communicate necessarily, you can't ask. If you set yes. it, and then the ring. And yeah, well, it, well, then it brings you down to the next thing, which is brand, right? And and brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. Brand is what people talk about, you know, as a product, whether it's a clothing product or a car or a restaurant. Brand is actually emotional engagement. How do they emotionally feel, or how are they emotionally engaged with you? So if you're exceeding a customer's expectation then of course you're going to have a very strong brand, aren't you? Because they're emotionally engaged. They're emotionally engaged because you've exceeded their expectation, right? And the new thing I talk about, Michael, and you're probably hearing it first because I don't think I've mentioned this in any of the recent podcasts or, or interviews, people will forego an 8 out of 10 product if they're getting a 12 out of 10 service, mm. right? So for the listeners to really think about that at any level, you can be a one-man sole operator, you can be two people operating, you can be a bigger business, doesn't matter about the size of your business. Or even if you're a worker, they will accept an eight out of 10 product if you deliver a 12 out of 10 service. Because if you deliver constantly a 12 out of 10 service, then they are emotionally invested in you. They're emotionally invested in the brand that you own or the brand that you work for. Therefore, an eight out of 10 product won't turn them away. But I tell you what, if you deliver a 12 out of 10 product and then you're giving an eight out of 10 service, you don't have the stickiness. You don't have the emotional engagement to actually keep that client long-term. Mm, that's really Awesome. I love that. So talking about brand, like how do you think about from a game changer perspective, like a lot of people will think obviously it's important and need to have it. It might look, might be the look and feel, might be saying what you say on the website. Like how do you, from a game changing perspective, how's it, how's that different? Well, it, again, 
It's about deep emotional feeling. If you think about why are people buying Teslas, they're not good looking cars. They're actually ugly, right? But they're emotionally engaged with what? The environment. So they think about how can I make an impact on the environment and go electric? Tesla pops up because they've done an amazing job with the brand. But mm. Tesla doesn't have a sexy looking car. Sorry, right? There's, you look at the Porsche electric, it's a beautiful looking electric car. You look at the Audi electric car, it's a beautiful electric car, right? Now, Tesla will start to lose market share to these guys if it doesn't up the game in design. But Tesla's got the front runner at the moment because it was first to market. You thought impact, environment, passionate about environment, I think brand, I mean, emotionally engaged with Tesla. Now they're starting to dilute because you've got people like Porsche and Audi upping the game, you know, and new brands like Polestar, which is affordable. So they all come back that they're solving the problem. So Polestar's come in the market and go, okay, how do I tap into the emotional connection of, you know, green and clean? How do I make a sexy looking car? And how do I do it affordable? Mm. So if you look at it right now on the market, they've probably got the best looking green energy, affordable car on the market. You know, starting at say 60, 70,000 and the car looks, you look at the car and you think it's a $200,000 car. So, you know, that's that's the company who's adopted game changer thinking. They've looked at what the other companies ahead have done and put down. But if you think it all started with Tesla and Tesla because of the brand, they built a deep emotional connection in brand. That's why Tesla is the game changer, not Polestar. They'll change certain elements, but the actual game changer for electric vehicles is always going to be seen as Tesla. I love that. So can, is this something you can do? Can you reinvent brands? Like if you've been an accountant, as an example, you've been doing the same thing for you have for the last 20 years, you've just realized chat GPT is going to, yes, if you haven't worked it out with zero already, like are they, is it easy to reinvent? Like how do you, can you do that? Yeah, look, the answer is no, it's not easy to reinvent, but can you? Yes, of course, because yeah. everybody's needs change are changing. And in a world of so much noise and so much resource, right? like the iPhone was a game changer, probably the biggest game changer we'll ever see in my lifetime and your lifetime. That changed the game because it brought speed to everything. It brought accessibility to everything. So what did actually the Apple iPhone do? It brought speed, technology, connection, accessibility, all into one device, right? And then there's flow-ons from that. So evolution is the key. So ChatGPT, what does it do? It saves you time. What's the problem ChatGPT does? It saves time. You don't have to research anymore. So we went from when I was at school, and I'm not that old, I'm 47. But when I was at school, you'd have to go to the library. You'd have to look at the resource cards. You then have to go skim through the the library book, take it out, read it, make notes, right? Then you fast forward to my kids era, who are in grade 10 and grade 8, you know, talk about, say, yesterday, was all about Google, right? Today and tomorrow is about artificial intelligence, so if you watch that progression, right, what's what's actually happened is speed, convenience. It's still the same outcome, mm. which is knowledge. The product hasn't changed. What's changed is, so the product is education. The product is knowledge. The product is information. What's changed is the speed of which you can collect that knowledge and information. So you know? from, from that perspective then, so let's think of a, a cleaning firm, right? They've been cleaning for a long time. Their brand is really, they've just been about, we, we clean next door's building so that's why we should clean yours you know yeah. like how would you talk to someone who's like going oh crikey you really need to bring some game changing what how, how they do that yeah. so what i would say is cleaners of tomorrow will become more like house concierges how can i clean your building or clean your house but at the same time 
I'll take the dry cleaning down to the dry cleaners for you. I'll prepare your meals. It's that add value, add value. Because at the end of the day, what's a cleaner's problem? Solving time. Yeah. It's solving time. So if I can come in and go, well, it's not just the cleaning I can do. I can, while I'm cleaning, I'm going to do your washing. I'm also then when I leave, going to take your dry cleaning down to get dry clean and you can pick it up. So it's add value, add value, everything to do with time. What can I do to add time? You know, because that's the problem they're solving. So if you start to look at the core problem that you solve, you can start to build your suite of products even further. I love that. And I guess that kind of leads nicely into profit. Yeah. Because if you actually solve, if you can identify the issue you solve, then arguably that's the way to profit. I imagine in, in the world of commoditization of accounting, as an example. Yeah. Yep, correct. And and people forget this. Oh, I'm going to do a loss leader. There shouldn't be any such thing as a loss leader. Everything should make money. Now, it doesn't have to make you big money, but it's got to make something, right? Yeah, you might accept the break-even point because you're going to sell it. You know, you're going to you're going to break even here, but you've got an opportunity to grow with this client or get another client. But no one should ever be doing anything, you know, for free. Free doesn't exist. There's always a cost, right? But and the understanding here of rule of profit is to understand that you have to be commercial. If you are not profitable, you're not sustainable. You can't run a business, you know, and the analogy I use there is drive for show and putt for dough. And people see me hit a golf ball off the tee and go, why aren't you a professional? Because I can hit 300 meters straight off the tee, but I can't put that little fucking golf ball in a hole. I putt like shit, right? So I could, doesn't matter how far I drive. If I can't put, if I can't chip and I certainly can't play out of a bunker, right? So can drive a ball a mile i can hit it straight as a die but you get me in a bunker game over you know and putting only the only thing worse to putting is me playing out of a bunker right so i'm never going to be a golf professional right business is the same thing profit is putting for money right. you can you can get revenue i say that you know pr firms i don't need to pay a pr firm to give something away for free mm. Right. We've got a Guzman and Gomez next to us. And when they opened up here, there was a lineup two kilometers into town because people wanted a free burrito. You know, the burrito cost $7, right? They wanted a free burrito. They waited two hours in line to get a free burrito. They don't need to pay a PR company to give away a free burrito. They just go and ring up a radio station and they'll have plenty of people. So I say to people, profit is, is, is a must. Profit is your putting. You've got to be able to, it's not about revenue. It's not about in our industry, people say, oh, I'm going to supply you 20 kilograms of coffee and I'll charge you $20 a kilo. Well, that's not sustainable, you know? So that person's, you know, showboating, building the ego, trying to build the revenue, but there's no profitability in that. Mm -hmm. If you're not profitable, it's not sustainable. You're not going to be there for long term. But it's often like, I find profit gets watered down when you are commoditized. And then what you're talking about is basically, like, let's summarize it. It's, it sounds like it's a avoid commoditization and you know, avoid commoditization by. Well, yeah, yes and no. You've got it. You've got to, what you've got to alter is perception, right? Oh. Because coffee's a commodity. Coffee's, you know, bought for X amount, sold for X amount, but we didn't sell coffee. We sold a service. Yeah, right. So what we did is we moved it away from a commodity. When the company that bought us, and I never forget the argument I had with the chairman at the time, right? The company that bought us, then the new chairman came in and he said, coffee's a commodity. We're going back to trading a commodity. And I said, the business that you guys paid a record amount won't sustain that. It'll fall over. You don't know what you're talking about. I've been in business 50 years. Congratulations. So was Kodak. Anyway, fast forward now, they just released their profit. I sold them a company and left at 7.2 EBIT. They just recorded a $600,000 EBIT for six months. Wow. That's what happens when you went, you took a, a brand and a company that did amazing things and was not, was not, you know, commoditized 
even though we're a commodity industry, and took it out of the pond of being a service business and put it back into a commodity pond and look at what they went from a 1.2, if they matched the first figures, they went from a 7.2 EBIT to a 1.2 EBIT in five years. Yeah. Now, the exec chairman should probably really be sacked. But anyway, that's a different discussion. But, you know, numbers don't lie. Facts don't lie. Yeah. Right? People don't want, they want to feel emotionally engaged to something. They want to feel part of a community. They want to feel part and valued. They want to feel like they're getting more for less. So if you start to think like that, you've still got to be profitable. You've still got to be able to deliver a product that gives them more for less, that makes them feel emotionally engaged, but you still got to have a profit level in there. And isn't it funny that you have a direct correlation that the better you make somebody feel, the more important they feel, the more problems you solve, the more you can charge for a product. Mm. Interesting. Very cool. Very cool to think about. I would imagine there's a lot of people listening a bit challenged by what you're saying, actually. And I feel that in terms of, it's so easy to slip into quantization, then it becomes oh, competitive. You price yourself to the bottom. Yeah. You know, you, everyone gets cheaper and then you get cheaper and then they get cheaper and then no one's making any money. Mm. And, and worse, everyone's out of business. Right. I always say to people, everybody's got to eat. It's a good Sicilian saying that my dad taught me. Everyone's got to eat. You can't choke. You can't put too much in your mouth and choke, but everyone's got to eat. And I do business that way. I say to somebody, you're only going to rip me once. You know, because someone will say, well, aren't you going to question that quote? Yeah. All I'm going to say to you is, is that the best price you can do? Yeah. Good. Then if I hear somebody else got the same product, the same like for like cheaper, then I don't do business with you anymore. It's very simple. You're only going to catch me once, right? Because who am I to dictate to somebody what price they should be charging or what they shouldn't? You know, that's not how I want people to deal with me. And it's certainly how I don't deal with other people. So, you know, that whole saying, when we're buying something, we think we want to, we want to pay bronze. When we sell it, we want to pay platinum. We want platinum, right? <laughs> well, it doesn't work like that, right? Yeah, that's true. I think, uh, Phil, been really insightful talking to you. And I really, one thing I'd just love to pick your brains on for those who are in a scenario at the moment where they're thinking about selling a business, yeah. like maybe they're, they've, they've, they've done their time. It's a decent business. How could they apply some of this to perhaps get a game-changing price for their business? How, yeah. how, would, they, how could they think about that from an exit? Yeah, well, look, from experience, it's there's certain do's and there's certain do's right um, one is build a very strong brand because people will always pay a higher multiple for a brand you know the going rate in my industry was seven five to seven time multiple right but because i had the number one brand in the country that was known had won every single award from customer you know customer service awards to middle management awards to corporate service awards we had a big big goodwill factor a really good goodwill value in our business we got a 12 time multiple we were also scale so we were best in class right now scale doesn't have to be bigger there was companies that were bigger than us like your victoria coffee is much bigger but they're in a supermarket they weren't like for like so in, in our industry, in our standalone, we were the biggest, but in the service that we provided. We weren't the biggest in the coffee industry. We were the biggest in the specialized manufacturing and supply to cafes. See how we created our own category, yeah. right? So therefore, that gold is a bigger mob. Thing. So one, be very, very clear on the brand that you're creating and how much emotional engagement. Two, try and be, you've got to be best in class, right? And it's not best in class, not about your size. It means that, that you are operating at the epitome of what you do. Tesla's gone great, but Tesla still doesn't sell as many cars as, say, Mazda or Toyota. But if I tell you the two brands, you think Tesla's a much higher valued brand. Yet market cap in terms of what they sell wouldn't be the same as a Toyota yeah. or a Mazda. But yet the brand equity is huge. Right. Do you see what I mean? 
right? And then the last place is no, I sat down and I had plenty of people. So I had an offer to float, which on paper would have given me more money, but the conditions didn't suit. And then I had obviously your, your typical people floating around that wanted to buy it at five to seven times multiple. Sit down and write who your ideal client would be to buy your business. The reason, the other reason I got a 12 time multiple is because at the time, Retail Food Group, they we, we were their first ever non-franchise acquisition. So the vision by the current, by that chairman of the time was excellent. His vision was that we want to be completely integrated. So he had a very, very good vision to go out there and say, right, let's start looking at companies like a coffee company, a tea company, a syrup company. And that was his vision. Now, what happened later, unfortunately, with the franchisees and that, 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 that obviously set them back. But the vision of the chairman at the time suited the acquisition of Develop because he wanted to go completely integrated, which was a very good vision. So they're the key tips, I would say, to somebody that's looking at selling. It's got to be a thought out process. And then the final tip I give them is be comfortable with it. Because people say to me, oh, you sold your brand name. Well, no, I created a brand. My name is Philip Devella. I sold Devella Coffee. So I didn't have the emotional connection once I sold to Devella Coffee. Mm. I saw it as an entity. I saw it as a possession. I didn't see it as an extension of me. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So you got, when you come to sell, especially if it's got your name on it, then you have to be emotionally prepared to let it go. Otherwise, you'll get seller's remorse. I can totally get that. <laughs> and you see someone right off with your baby who could be going. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. But it's all about the mindset, right? It's all about how you view it and how you see it. You know? And of course, do you miss it? Of course, you miss it at times. You miss elements of it. You miss the people, all the rest of it. But that's why I say you miss it less if you're very, very clear, focused and ready to exit. Powerful place to end this podcast so phil thank you so much for your time man that's been a super like a whirlwind and like, i reckon it's like a master class in how to build a business in like 30 minutes or so so uh, yeah really appreciate your time and i will put some links in the description uh for people to get to the book and I'm, obviously it's it's everywhere so thank you for your time and uh, thank you to your co-author um alan for you know he couldn't join us today but it's great to hear what you're up to and i, I hope it's uh, a great success as you launch it thanks michael appreciate it Awesome. And like, I reckon it's like a masterclass in how to build a business in like 30 minutes or so. So yeah. Uh, yeah, really appreciate your time. And I will put some links in the description uh, for people to get to the book. And I'm, it's, it's everywhere. So thank you for your time. And, uh, thank you to your co-author, um, Alan, for, you know, he couldn't join us today, but it's great to hear what you're up to. And I, I hope it's uh, a great success. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate it.